Welcome to our special edition podcast series on the World Game. I'm your host, Lucy Zelich, and joining me to discuss the fallout from the latest Football Federation Australia annual general meeting is SBS Chief Football Analyst Craig Foster. Hello hello. to you, Foz. And the World Game website multimedia journalist Nick Stoll, a.k.a. Stolich. Good day to you, Stolich. Afternoon, Lucy. Well, Foz, we'll start with you. It's been dubbed the FFA Apocalypse. But how have you reacted to the news that the proposal to reform the Congress has been unsuccessful? Well, with no surprise, um, and it seemed to be a fait accompli some months ago, um, it was clear that a bunch of the stakeholders and some of the largest and most powerful and most important, actually, um, and I'm talking about the professional game being one of the most important by far, um, who've been given nowhere near the representation that was necessary. I'm talking here for the game to prosper not just because they want it or because um, comments coming out of FFA say that they want more money or that they're greedy. No, actually, the professional game is the future of the country. It is the only way that we're going to be able to compete professionally. Um, We have to get our professional competitions to a far higher level, and that requires a whole host of a better representation and then better management. Uh, And so it was clear that those guys, as well as the two largest states and recently Victoria alongside um, New South Wales um, weren't in agreement with FFA. So I thought it was uh, pretty much a done deal. That was the case in the end. And now everyone's looking forward to see what occurs with FIFA. And I expect them to put in a normalisation committee very quickly. What does that mean for us, Foz? If a normalisation committee is to come in, which is in all very likelihood going to happen, I mean, that was FIFA's original threat. If they mm-hmm. couldn't come to an agreement mm-hmm. by this November 30 deadline, that this is what the repercussions would mean. So in the past, Luce, we would say FIFA, well, we'd have no confidence that anything was really going to occur, would we? Because no. And this occurred over the past six months when you saw, if you like the history of FIFA and the history of football politics play out when I think on at least two occasions, and I read, um, you know, I'm I'm going from media reports here, but I read that uh, Stephen Lowy had gone over to Zurich to speak to FIFA and to try and brief them privately when he was struggling with the various stakeholders, right? That was the old FIFA. The old FIFA was done on handshake deals, was done on personal relationships. Brown paper bags. Very much, exactly Allegedly. Well, yes. Well, much that's been proven through mm-hmm. FBI and so on now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Jack Warner and the like. So um, that that was it. So when that occurred, that was the moment at which I thought, okay, they are genuinely changing because Stephen Lowy was rejected. He had to come back to Australia, and essentially, from what we read, he was told, no, the the Congress has to be more representative. You have to put that in place, and it's no good coming here and and just trying to um, schmooze. Exactly. And so that was a a very big change. Secondly, there's more confidence that something will occur because it has occurred in other countries. So this is a very, very new era for uh, the governance of the game um, vis uh, FIFA's uh, overall administration. And therefore, I would imagine, given that it's happened recently in other countries, that it won't be long before a normalisation committee will be put in place. So back to my earlier question, what yeah. does that look like then in terms of you know how the game would be run, the processes that would be put into place and mm. how it would be managed at that yeah. governance level? That's a much more difficult question to answer. I guess we would have to find out what happened in the other countries in order to answer it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done that research, but what I would say is um, there's been a lot of fear-mongering here for, on, on many levels. Number one, 
people say, well, it's just ridiculous and it makes us look like a uh, third world country, if you like. Um, I don't but that's I don't just think... a symptom of what's been going on at the board level, isn't it? It's almost well, ridiculous to have that assertion because there's a reason why this normalisation committee has come in and that's because the administrators are running the game poorly in this country. Well, that's actually a very, very good point. So if you look at the different regions of the world where this has occurred, some of them are endemically corrupt, some of them are endemically incompetent, um, and the reality is that we are one of the very few regions in the world now that hasn't been, where the governing body has not been able to build consensus and give the various very important stakeholders uh, the requisite say in the management of the game. Mm. So we are, uh, we are, and we have been for quite some time, a part of that group. It's just that now we've had the final meeting. But we've known this for quite some time because of the governance model that Frank Lowy put in. It was unrepresentative. It has had um, many positives and it's had many negatives. And it was um, much of it I have, I've never agreed with. But nevertheless, um, certainly when Frank left, that I think in hindsight from his perspective will be he has to look back on his time in the game and say, that is when I should have handed the game on. It's no longer uh, my family's game. Mm. This I've done what I was required to do. It helped me as well as Frank Lowy. I didn't just help the game. It was quid pro quo, by mm-hmm, the way. Mm-hmm. However, um, let, you know, given the fact that um, it had occurred, at that point his major error was not to say, I've done this, it's time now that the game managed itself and all the stakeholders work together. And when I talk about fear-mongering, I'm talking about people who say ridiculously that this is a uh, hark back to the, old, the bad old days and so on. Completely ridiculous. Actually, it's completely different, utterly um, different. It's a new era and this, was, this had to occur. It was inevitably going to occur and either Frank Lowe was going to bring it about or it was going to happen in this fashion. So that is precisely what uh, Stephen Lowy said. Uh, Stolich, those who voted against progress today are those that want to take the game back to the bad old days. A lot of people have reacted very strongly to that, and rightfully so, because it is a ridiculous assertion. But um, we'll get back to that in a second. But from your perspective, Stolich, in your role at SBS and on the World Game website, it has been widely discussed across the media and, and also on social. What's been the over? overwhelming response? I think there's been a great frustration from both fans and people in the media and clubs and you see it kind of all coming out yesterday that all these issues that have been bubbling finally are starting to come to the fore and I think even like as you were saying Frank Lowy transitioning the power onto his son Stephen Lowy was actually and it's come out more recently that was when FIFA were first kind of their eyebrows were raised at the governance here in Australia yeah. because of the yeah. nepotism thing and all that. So I, I think it was just also, I think, the, the comments, there was a lot of talk of Lowy being out of touch uh, with football fans and the football community. And I think even that language, saying the bad old days, yeah. it's, we shouldn't... There were definitely problems with the old NSL, no doubt. There was definitely problems with the governance back in the day. But to say it was the bad old days, I think, is really disrespectful to a lot of people who did a lot of good things back in the day. But how is the situation that we're in any better? These are bad days. And that's what's really quite bizarre about even referring to that, right, Stolich? It's a very low bar in which you are pretending that you have jumped over. 
Mm. So mm. yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's there were some very uh, strange comments. Even that he like opened with his statement saying uh, today's vote was about um, I think it was money and power, and it's uh, he said that like a, a negative mm. thing. Mm. Well, most votes at this level are going to be about money and power. Firstly, but secondly, you won seven. Well, Frank of Lowy the- became FFA chairman because of two things, mm. and money, they were what money. And power. Yeah, I don't. Know, to me, it, the whole thing has been crazy. The fact that when it first brought up that the the A League clubs didn't have more representation, that the players didn't have more representation, that the women's game didn't have more representation. If you think about who are the true key stakeholders of the mm. game, mm. I mean, wh- how are you going to have a game without players? Firstly, that seems very obvious. And then, and then from there, the game has grown so much since the states were running the joint. So take take the Australian condition aside just for a moment. Let's talk about the game broadly, right? Globally. The, one of the key reasons why the game got in the position it did with massive corruption, massive nepotism, massive conflicts of interest was because it was unrepresentative. It was a cabal and, and quite frankly, was a mafia, right? So what FIFA rightly did was say, and were forced to do, by the way, but... What's happened is they've said in order to, to, to that this doesn't occur again, uh, one of the best things we can do is make all the congresses around and federations and confederations much more representative so that a small group of people can't have total control. And here you have in Australia, given that international context, you have a small group of people arguing to maintain, maintain control when we've seen clear cases of both nepotism and massive conflicts of interest. So, in other words, are we actually in this country now capable of saying we, we have to do what's in the interests of the game? Not just our game, but the game. And, and what's happened uh, globally actually shows us that we need better representation in terms of our governance. That is a fact. And this is one of the reasons why Stephen Lowe at the moment has really struggled with uh, articulating his message and and connecting with both the football fans and the stakeholders is because he's talking a different language. Mm. Because everyone's moved on now. This is why I went back to Frank. The big, I think Frank will reflect near the end of his <laughs> life, I think he'll reflect on, on, on a massive mistake that he made because he had the opportunity... Do you think he genuinely will, though, Foz? Because I get the sense that they feel as though they need to be yeah, credited for the game in this country. That's a good question. I, I don't... don't personally... I mean, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's no. quite an allegation to make, but I don't think yeah. that he will look back and think that he made a mistake. The only reason I said that I think he would is because what people like Frank Lowy and others are so concerned about mm. is their legacy mm. through the game. And being preserved, obviously. That's it. That's what they're re- that's what they're really concerned about. Is I'm going to be remembered for X, and I think that he's going to be remembered for making a really poor decision that wasn't in the interest of the game. And I think he could have, um, if he genuinely wanted to, which clearly he didn't. But uh, I think he could have, at that moment had a fantastic message, put the game on a beautiful footing going forward, mm. saying now. And even I would have... I never agreed with the governance. I never agreed with the chairman owning Sydney FC. I never agreed with him handing over to his son. None of that. And we've spoken about that here at SBS. This is when they talk about these conflicts of interest, I sort of shake my head a bit now. And I know the, the A-League clubs, Association, professional clubs associate come out and talked about it. Mm-hmm. But I say, well, where, you know, where, where, where were you guys 10 years ago? 
And that's we were right. talking about it 10 years ago when it first happened, and we were saying that's wrong. And a lot of fans were saying, oh, you know, shut your mouths, guys, you're being negative, and da da but it's not right. No. And so once you set that standard in place, you have to step back from it. And we're now stepping back from a number of things which aren't right for the game, and um, the only way to step back from that is through pain, actually, because the current bo- uh, group and the son of Frank Lowy is not going to go and allow that to be um, um, exposed, if you like, really, um, and questioned and changed without a serious fight, which is what has occurred. So one of the statements that was made through the Football Federation Australia uh, media team was throughout this long process, the FFA board has had two objectives, to expand the Congress so that Australian football is better represented within our governance arrangements and is more in line with FIFA practice around the world, and to preserve the model that ensures FFA's directors continue to be independent and make decisions in the best interests of the whole of the game. Those objectives, clearly neither of them have been met, but is it still fascinating to you to hear that kind of rhetoric coming out of FFA now that it's all come out come out and been revealed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting how you can say... Uh, I think it. if you say you're independent, does that mean you're not to be held to account? And I think that can be a bit of an issue. We're independent, blah, blah. so we're, you've been independent for a long time, and a lot of we've had a lot of these problems. Why haven't they been solved? I think that's it's a good. It, it sounds good in theory, the independence. Yeah. So they're they're able to say the FFA are able to say that we are a duly elected independent board because they are elected um, nine out of the ten votes by the states, mm-hmm. who clearly they control, who they in part fund. Um, and who they have very strong political relationships with. So that's not really the point. The point is that the game needs broader representation. This is what I'm saying why they've lost, they lost the narrative a year ago, is because they're not talking the language they need to talk. The game needs the greater representation, and what, what they've done essentially is try to fight that at every step of the way. Instead of being the change agent and saying, this is actually great, we believe in uh, what the players can bring to the table. And don't forget the PFA has been one of the foremost uh, contributors to the growth uh, and positive direction of Australian football in the last 25 years. And yet, um, and the female vote, um, and here you've got the professional clubs who surely after 11 years, 12th year now, are capable of having a proper say, given the the massive amount of influence they have on the on the financial state of the game and the future. Mm. So, in with 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 all that happening, um, it's quite sad, really. Although it was inevitable, I think I wrote about it a year ago. So, it's absolutely inevitable because all of the problems that were under the surface that Frank Lowy Senior was able to keep down through. I don't know whether it was through force of personality, whether it was through his business dealings whether or, or what it was, but he was able to at least keep the various people under some form of control. Because it could have very well been that the people he had around him had a vested interest in Frank Lowy being in that position as well and ulterior motives through those business dealings, etc., which, um, you know, has now been really brought to light in terms of the conflicts of interest. But you talk about the bad old days. Um, I want to know from your perspective, Foz, you've been around the game a long time now, but 
How different, I mean, we know how much of a disaster soccer Australia was mm. and the levels of corruption that went on there, mm. but is FFA any better? What are the, the, I mean, how can you draw comparisons there and what are the differences, if any? Well, um, the game has come a long way, but that is also because the game was growing um, exponentially year on year on year. And once we hit the 2006, it was always going to explode. So one of the problems around the game is that just FFA says, oh, well, all of this growth's happened. And you say, well, that's happening anyway. Um, And, in fact, much of it's taken for granted. Um, It's happening without their administration, without their assistance. Much of it is. But if there's one key moment, I think it was the 2006 World Cup when we got through to there, that was the big catalyst to come through. And that was one of Frank... uh, If if I would say um, that there was two things that Frank Lowy contributed very well, and I didn't agree with much, if not most, of his governance. But anyway, he certainly did contribute in making sure that he brought hitting, and he contributed by getting into the AFC. Uh, the rest, when it came to the uh, design of the A-League competition, was an absolute disaster. Mm. And in those early years, you know, we, we had to sit on air and talk about it. And as football lovers, we had to be so positive because we love the game and it's important for us to do it. But at the same time, we still had to critique and say, but that's not right. It's not going to work. Mm. About five, six years ago, I did a, some just a back-of-the-envelope study. It wasn't real research. But just on how much money has been spent and lost on the professional game, and we've got, I think, 13,000 average crowds now. So, in other words, if I was going to say to the to the governance and the administrators of the game and give them a mark on the A-League competition, I couldn't give more than 5 out of 10. Firstly, you started as a one-team, one-city um, model, which was rugby union, which Frank let John O'Neill do. So, mm-hmm. in other words, they looked at no research. And, by the way, the players, we'd already done all the research, 400 grand worth. And O'Neill said to me to my face when I was interim CEO of the PFA, he said, oh, I said, have you read the research, John? Because it's very clear that we need da-da-da. And he said to me, he said, this is my baby. And, <sighs> and what's it got to do with the players? That's what he said to me. Wow. And I said, well, what's it got to do yeah. with the players? Yeah, I mean, I don't right. know which comment this is, is the worse. Rubbish this is my baby or this has got nothing to do. I don't know that's which That's what he said. Words. And he, he actually left the meeting. He walked out and he, and he left me there with John Bowlby. And he, and he refused to deal with me any longer because I said to him, well, no, actually, this game's been going a long time before you got here. It's going and to go on a long time after you've yeah, left here too. that's right. And what you're talking to me about is going to make the same mistakes that we made in the past, and we actually want to avoid those mistakes. So how about you, you read the research? Um, and uh, he wasn't interested. So we went and had one team, one city, um, with Sydney FC in a, in a population of 5 million. I mean, you could then you had no youth teams, so we had no youth development for, what, at least six, seven years. So some of those things were, you know, serious failures of strategy. The the last expansion was a massive failure of strategy. A massive failure. If you look at the way other sports... The last expansion being yeah. the Gold Coast, yeah, North Queensland ones, one, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. not the Wanderers. Yeah, so, so wonderful passion in the local community. It's, you know, the, the, the and what happened is North Queensland's a great example. They give it there without really preparing the market well, without any research as to where we should go. So all of these things have been great frustration for us for many years. The, But we're all on board because we're so passionate about the game. We're, we're still trying to go forward. But I was just saying to someone the other day, look, we had um, at the height of the NSL, we had 13,000, 15,000 crowds. Mm. And, uh, and if you look at the um, combined, not even revenues, but just the losses of the clubs, 
oh, I don't even know what it is now, over 12 years, but it might be in excess of $200 million. Because you were talking about uh, 10 clubs, there was 1 million up to 2 million, sort of 15 to 20 probably. There were only about two that were breaking even. Um, That's right. And barely, I think it was yes, Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory. Right. So even, even for seven or eight years, you're talking about $150 million plus. That's an incredible amount of money coming out of football-loving people some some business people who who just want to profit from the game, but the vast majority, and the ones I felt sorry for and kept talking about on air was the ones who made the crossover. So they had been there in the NSL. They like um, was it Constantine up in Jets? Yep. Okay. And I know I know in many ways his, his administration was disastrous, but I felt sorry for them because there they were the early believers, mm. as we were, and the early believers burnt their money. They got burnt, and every time because they had were given no model, they were given no research, they were given no guidance from Frank. He, he I always said at that time that he's a landlord. He's not a retailer. And that's what Westfields is. Buy, build all these shops and rent it to Lucy Zelich clothes, but that doesn't mean that he can that he can actually. He has no vested interest in how well my business does. Right. So then, in those years, what happened is when when a, a, a license would fall over, he'd blame the owners. Of course. And he'd say oh, that's an absolute disgrace the way they've run it, and, and and we'd be going, but yeah, I mean, you're running this competition, so we come back to the professional game. It's long overdue for the professional game to ma- manage on an independent basis. And um, we need an independent commission running the competition for focus. That means people whose only job is to get this league where we believe it can be. Um, And we need um, better strategy, and that would come with a dedicated set of staff who's their only job they're being hired and fired on by a CEO of the league uh, is to make this the number one sporting competition in the country. Stolich, a lot of people, like I said at the very top of the show, have dubbed it the FFA apocalypse. They're calling it a crisis, a disaster, an embarrassment, a disgrace. I mean, the list goes on of, of you know terms I could use. But are a lot of people also looking at this like it's a good thing and breathing a sigh of relief that we perhaps have come to this sort of point now because it means that going forward that change is hopefully in- inevitable and the right kind of change? I think there's definitely that opinion out there. I, I just think, like a lot of us, we don't know exactly what's next with this normalisation. Who comes in? There's a misunderstanding over who will even be allowed to take over, whether you can have current involvement in the game, whether you have to be external to clubs that currently exist and all this kind of thing. So I think there's a big worry. Even there's concern, which I don't think will happen. There is concern over, for example... There's always rumours that maybe our participation at World Cups might be threatened. It seems like even FIFA and FA have both said that is highly unlikely. Okay, so that was because of potential government interference? Yes. And therefore, because it was, is it Greg Hunt? Yeah, we saw that with Greg Hunt and the... uh, So he made some sort of statement at a luncheon, there was women in sport or something, where he had said um, that if this was to occur, the government's funding for this might be uh, in question. The government's um, funding for the Women's World Cup 2023 yes, for the bid, bid and so yeah. on. Um, and that was quickly questioned by media and parts of the professional game, which I thought was good. He has backtracked on that. As sense. he well should, because um, that's really not his business. And, um, and the thing is, FIFA rightly um, have issues with that. Having said that, we have also... Um, we, this shows how football is so hypocritical. 
um, as we are sitting here now because um, everyone was very pleased with all the governance all the way through when things were going well and now all of a sudden... Um, you know, they but isn't were... that normal, Foz? When things yeah. are going well at the yeah. administrative level and you've got the administrators of the game at that governance yeah. level... When they, when doing they feel it's the... going well. When they well, feel it's going when they well. Feel yeah, well. On, even on a superficial if... level. Exactly. And even if we all have been, uh, you know... Uh, complimentary of how they've been doing things or applauded them in certain situations. Well, we try to be as much as possible. That's right. But yeah. they're just doing their jobs. So when things aren't going well, it is actually our responsibility totally, to question yeah. them. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And it's the same with, same with us in a, as a public figures. That's the reality. People own the game. FA does not own the game. And that's one of the issues with the culture that was built in the early years. But they're still acting like they own the game. The problem, and yeah. how much of this is an issue now and the reason why they've ended up in this scenario? Because, you know, Lowy would be the first to come out, Stephen, that is, and say that the only reason this vote didn't go through was because it's about power and money, which to me is very rich coming from him. Yeah, it doesn't. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. No, it doesn't. But people would be entitled to laugh at that. I right? think one of FA's biggest problems, and I don't know what you guys think, but in addition to a myriad to of problems, the rhetoric and even kind of the strategizing feels empty in terms of there was even this thing oh, okay they came out and said oh, we want greater representation for the women's game so i believe there was a plan to give Canberra united because it is the only w league club that isn't also an a league club a vote that vote was then going to be controlled by the act state federation right. Right. and it's i think it's just stuff like that where it's like you claim right. that you are doing this for one reason That's right. and then when it is you know, when people kind of just think about it or they, they look a bit deeper and they work at how it is exactly going to be implemented, right. it's not. That's, again, going to the State Federation, which, as you were saying, you have at least great influence. Let's go yeah. back to the conflicts. So that's exactly right. That's what's occurred, just yeah. quickly, that's what's occurred throughout the process, is each time there's been a change forced on FFA, the compromise that they've put forward, uh, people have felt that it's not um, genuine, that it doesn't represent the spirit of what FIFA are trying to do. And, and it's just reactionary, really, to what FIFA are trying to get them to do. Yeah, and sometimes it was even more than that. It was, um, yeah, the people didn't trust um, what they were trying to achieve. And that just demonstrates that you don't have the ability now to maintain relationships with all the stakeholders. Basically what Frank did and what he gave to Stephen is a board that is compliant last board member who was active and vocal was, um, to my knowledge, was... Um, Jack Riley? Jack Riley, uh, who's an ex-Socceroo, who um, is a strong enough character and who's not part of the Lowy family Westfield. network. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Business. And therefore, he felt a responsibility to make them aware of various things around the World Cup bid and blah, 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 blah. And ultimately, he ended up getting booted or he resigned, I can't quite recall. Uh, and then Frank smashed him publicly. And that was the typical Lowy um, modus operandi, is you work with us and we control everything. If you don't or you have any uh, differing opinion that you want to make known, then we've got a serious problem. And if that becomes public, we'll smash the crap out of you uh, because we have two things, money and power. Mm -hmm. So that shows you the type of board that they need. Um, and yes, the men, effectively, who are pissing in each other's pockets. Okay, so we, we would have the right to us. See, again, what FFA say, what Stephen will say is, yeah, but they're duly independently elected. They are under the former 
um, model under the former model um, through FIFA, as he himself has recognised. They are because you control the states and you've had the states nominate and elect the people that you need to run it in your way. Our question is, is that board vigorous and rigorous enough, have, a, have the, the broadest array of skills and knowledge of the game necessary to make the best decision-making and strategy, because that's the, that's the uh, role of a board, is to strategise for the future, and clearly at the moment we have very little. Well, if that's the litmus test, then we've failed. But that, that is what a board does. I mean, you've got Moya Dodd on there, so yeah, she's Moyers, one yeah. that is yeah. actually legitimately um, yes. in a position where you think she can affect change based yes, on yes. her experiences, her former career as a professional. That's, yeah. a, that's a well-placed person to have on a board of a football governing body. Yes, yeah, so Moya's had made a number of contributions in terms of the female game in Asia and even to FIFA and so on. Uh, Moy has clearly been capable of navigating what is the the lowy politics of sitting on a board, and this is this is not only known in here. This is known in all of the business community. That's mm-hmm. the way that they they become billionaires. That's a matter for them. But but this is not Westfield. This is not their 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 game. This is actually your game, um, and the people's listening game. So, what happened is the board now. I would seriously question all of us would, whether it's constituted well enough to be able to be representative and make decisions that are sound uh, for the future of the game and with enough understanding to be able to get our game where we need to be. I think it's clear that that's not the case. The the main issue is around um, this concept of the best decision-making in the best format that ensures that the game... Uh, is free of conflicts of interest, which it is not. Um, Because, you know, conflict of interest, for instance, as a chairman, a clear conflict of interest is when you're creating a new professional competition and you are running the game, that you award a licence to yourself for your own family to invest in, in the biggest market in the country... That is a massive conflict of interest. But, Foz, is there an element of people have been actually saying that? They have been saying what the yeah. Lowys have done has been a disgrace to an extent. It's just yeah, that who's know. been able to exact the power for change? I, I, yeah. And I that feeds a, into my next yeah. question, which is what is the best-case scenario coming out of this and what's also the worst case? Mm-hmm. Stolich, your theories first. So just on uh, the Lowy thing and Lowy not being criticised, I think for a long time there was a... A view, a misguided view that possibly Lowy, because he was rich and had been brought in and all this kind of, he was almost funding the game. And maybe the fact that there was Westfield advertising ever was that he was bankrolling the game. Which he wasn't. No, so that's a, that's a, um, that's just not correct. Yeah. So why is it not correct, Foz? From your perspective, how did it play out then? Because I guess it's easy as an observer to sit back and say, wow, he's pumping money into the women's mm. game, he's pumping money into the men's professional game, yeah, the yeah. national teams. And that's that how wow. it's... That's, really? But that's how it's looked wow. to observers. What's the reality, no. though? Well, that's just not true. No. Um, so, in fact, he was publicly, would very often say, no, I don't want to put my own money in because then it's not sustainable. He was quoted that many times. He said, um, um, because the game has to be sustainable without me. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, thanks very much, but you could give it a fair hit. So I, I always say, no disrespect to them, we're just, we're just talking about football here, but I always say in Australia that we've got Clayton's billionaires. What Frank did do well and what he brought to the table was his influence, power and money, but the money wasn't his. He was able to get the money. So what he did was got $32 million out of Howard, remember? Mm-hmm. I think it was it was sixteen million, four million a year was pledged, and I'm from memory, going back a fair while here. But 
um, a lot of days in the sun on on the on the yacht with, with the you super guys. yacht. <laughs> but um, uh, but he doubled that. I think sixteen uh, eight million a year. I think it was thirty two million oh four. So what he brought to the table was the ability to um, get the government on side, and that was very important. Um, however, within that context, he just wanted to run it as an arm of of Westfield. And therefore, he put a lot of high-powered people on the board with no idea about really where the game should go. So does that feed into the next conflict of interest then? Because when you see all these Westfield advertising boards at these football games, that suggests to me, because realistically, you have to, in order to have a position at any kind of football stadium with an advertising board, you have to have invested money. Yeah. Right? So is that another conflict of interest? Him yes. just freely splashing okay. about Westfield and calling it the Westfield okay. Matildas, yes, the yes. Westfield W League? Yes. So that is a potential conflict of interest. And therefore, what you have to do is, as a chairman or a, or a director, uh, you have to declare that and you have to make sure that the whole process is, is run in the correct manner. Now, I don't know what, what's occurred there. Mm. Um, certainly, it's not a good look when it immediately happened, but there public message I think at the time was oh there's virtually no one else and it has to be done look I'd question that but the thing is um, the idea is that it should have been put to market and that Westfield should have had to um, compete in an open transparent competitive process to pay the most to get that and that's how you avoid a conflict of interest right did that occur Um, We don't know. Yeah, I I have no idea. Well, I mean, this is possibly a very simplistic view, but just from an outsider perspective, I've always found it very weird and very strange when I first understood it was the lack of football people on the board. Like, I think, what, right now it's just Moya Dodd who previously played? Uh, Danny Moulis is an ex-player. Okay. So so two out of, what, eight or ten there is. But I guess it's just that thing of, like, when you, if I was running a tech company and I was appointing a board, they, the majority of them at least, would come from tech backgrounds who had worked in the tech field, and all. it just seems very strange to me. And I understand, like, you know, you need to uh, get expertise from the business world and all that, stuff, and there can be a lot of value. And you have to, and you also have to be an accomplished and proven administrator that can yeah. be successful in that space. But I think just because you're an ex-player, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be suitable for the board. You have to have gone through the, the the appropriate processes. I feel in terms of developing your own knowledge and understanding from a governance perspective to earn that right. But Stolich, you know from all of this now. That, that that has had nothing to do with it. There are so many more competent and, and skillful people that could be holding those positions on the FFA board, but to them it's not about that. It's about, again, this is the common theme of this podcast, it's about money and power. Foz. So in order to manage a business, you need to have enough knowledge on the board of that business, clearly. Often in boards, you need, always you need a mix of skills, but quite often they'll bring people from external as well because different thinking bring innovation and so on, and they have their own specific um, set of skills. What a Lowy board has consistently done is say that um, our nominee, who's now going to head up our board football committee, is a football expert, and that happens to be our nephew or our family friend or the son of one of my best friends, uh, uh, Philip Wolanski. And that's how they handle that issue. So when you say, actually, um, Phil is the son of a property developer who kicks around, uh, you know, five minutes with a team from Bondi in 8035's competition, 
Um, and it's we don't think it's appropriate that he's actually running a, a football committee on the Football Federation Australia board. That's seen as inappropriate um, from the, the former players' perspective. Now, they say there's plenty of football on there, and Moyer, of course, is an ex-player, which is great. But, you know, this is what happens. So, in other words, they'll nominate people that you are now the expert, and clearly you're not. No. Um, you haven't had international experience. You don't da 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 So... That's how a Lowy board operates. And that's why, as I said at the start, look, a couple of years ago when Frank left, I think everyone could wear it for a certain amount of time. Um, it was incredibly frustrating to not just me, but many, particularly in the former um, players in the PFA environment. The reason being is because we always thought it could be done in many respects so much better. But um, at least while the whole community would wear it and keep moving ahead, you know, we had to wear it as well. Um, but it's gone. It's past. It's finished now. Seriously. The, the lowy influence. Yeah, you have to now. The game was ready to move on a couple of years ago. And I think that everyone could have turned around and said, look, Frank, we don't agree with everything you did. There was some really rubbish stuff on the World Cup bid, by the way. Mm -hmm. that we, we, you know, it came out and he vilified everyone and, um, um, you know, a number of people um, who, who were involved in that. But... Um, much of it we didn't agree with. Nevertheless, at least the game is in this position. We thought, I think in many respects it should have been done better. There's been a huge amount of money wasted. Okay, fine. Um, shake hands. Thank you. It's time for the game to move on. Stephen Lowy, he twice failed to say whether he would respect FIFA's decision mm. to dissolve the FFA board should that decision be made, saying that he and his board will decide that if and when the time comes. Don't know that he necessarily gets a say in that, but Foz, mm. I... I want to go back to that question I asked earlier. What's the best case scenario versus the worst case scenario? Okay, so I think there's only one scenario. Okay. Well, okay, the worst case scenario is that Stephen Lowy decides that he's not going to do uh, what F FIFA have um, mandated and that he's going to take legal action and essentially hold the game to ransom. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Um, Gee, do you think that could threaten our World Cup place? I, I don't think you become a billionaire family without doing that, quite frankly. Um, but I, I think in a lot of ways, if that happens, it would just show sort of the level what the of game ego, means. though, that surrounds that kind of thought process. If that was to eventuate, Foz, it just it boggles my mind. Yeah, well, billionaires are a different type of. Um, People, but right? this goes back to what we've been saying. You don't own the game. This is the yeah. biggest gripe that I've ever had what, with, what these, with, the, with the running of it. You yeah. don't own the game in this country. What would be the ramifications? Nobody if, does. If we were, oh, I, look, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not um, I don't have the legal advice. But what I can say is um, that I would imagine that it would fail. But it would also, I think, just demonstrate finally to the whole football community and the government and everyone exactly where that board stands when Stephen talks about me and my board, mm. that actually, you know, I think it would be a very powerful statement of the whole tenure to date, actually. Yes. Um, but my feeling is that, um, that this normalisation committee will come in because it has to come in. Um, That's and, what FIFA said they'd do if they couldn't come it, to an agreement. they've done it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think now, given what's occurred, we would have all preferred that a proper model was put in place. Uh, we needed uh, reasonable representation for the professional game. I don't believe that was offered. 
Um, I do believe that the people who were um, who withdraw withdrew their support were in the right. I certainly would have withdrawn mine, and I believe that that is what has to occur now. So then, finally, I guess the best case scenario is that they come in. There's some talk that there's going to be some type of Australian person who perhaps has been nominated already. I don't know. Perhaps it is Jack. Um, because of his former experience, um, would certainly be my recommendation, and that they're now going to oversee the immediate future and start to take advice as to how to put that into place, and then there would be new elections at the earliest possible convenience, in which case it will be a very different game by then, and I happen to believe that it will be a better game. So... In addition to that, they've also got the headaches, stolage of pursuing um, a new world, well, a new Socceroos coach ahead of the World Cup that's coming up. We've also got the draw that's coming up, and for those of you interested, we are airing it on SBS at 2 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, Eastern Daylight Time, should I say? Uh, so you can tune in and watch myself and Foz go through all of that, and we will be crossing to Moscow and getting reaction from. Socceroos assistant coach Ante Milicic. Mm -hmm. I believe that Luke Cassidy is also over there, as is David Gallup, who left as soon as this annual general meeting completely collapsed. Uh, But... um, I think you got an earlier flight. It didn't take long. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of things for them to consider. This isn't just about, okay, gee, we've got to find a new coach. But they're also then having to look at, okay, has this A-League season so far been a success? When you look at attendances, when you look at ratings, you look at general interest. Both of those are down. When you look at general interest overall, um, the, the state is truly in, the game is truly in a state of flux. So you'd have to say that, I mean, certainly from my perspective, this is a welcome scenario. Whatever happens going forward, whether the Lowys decide to take out legal action, the, the call has been made very clear and that's the, the game needs to change in this country. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's definitely an opportunity for drastic reform, drastic reform, which I think is needed from the grassroots in terms of just just how expensive it is for kids to play football. I mean, compared to other sports and opportunities and then how expensive it is for uh, parents, for example, to get coaching licences if they want to educate themselves or become better coaches. If you've got two kids that want to play in any kind of developmental side or go through a particular camp or a course, anything... Can cost you upwards of five six thousand dollars. Yeah. That at a minimum. And 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 then so yeah. And then if I've, I've heard, I'm not sure exactly, but you know the people pay a lot of money to go on these coaching courses, even at like quite a low level. And then I don't know where that money goes into. I don't think it's particularly going back into the grassroots. So then you have all those issues that we all experience, whether it be us playing at games and registration fees and the state of pitches and referees and all this kind of stuff, right up until like development pathways to professional level, uh, youth league issues, W league issues, um, you know, and then the issues regarding the A league, whether it be, I, I feel the league is stagnant. The crowd numbers show that. Attend, uh, TV ratings show that. It's all falling apart. That's yeah. really what it feels like. But, but it should be said that the game itself, football in this country, is still Massive. It's growing. So it's it massive. It just grew again. Yeah, its participation is massively up. You sh- but it's I mean, the highest at yeah. that grassroots level. And when, we have the highest participation rate in this country yeah. for yeah. football. And when so, you see, yeah. and when, sorry, when you see, but like when you see big teams come out to Australia, whether that be Argentina, Brazil, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, all these clubs, Madrid, City, all these clubs that have come here, huge attendances. MCG sold out. Stadium Australia sold out. For Liverpool, they're getting 60,000 people mm. for a retirees game. Like, yeah. the, the interest in the game 
mm. as shown by World Cup ratings, this will be, mm. and is massive. Yeah, so the thing is, it always was. Mm. Mm. So this is where people have a short memory, and this is where people look at what's occurred. See, the thing about... Frank Lowy, and, and we all have will have different views on this. But back when, back in the early two thousands, when a change was needed, we never asked nor believed that we needed a saviour. We certainly didn't need a demigod, and we didn't need someone to come in and take over the game for themselves and their close associates. We believed that the game, when the soccer was played in nineteen ninety seven, I think it was three and a half million people watching mm-hmm. when we buggered it up, right? When 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 Happy we twentieth anniversary yeah, of that. If you, talk, if you talk to Lon, if you talk to Les previously, you know, um, bless his soul, he um, he would talk about the World Cups from eighty two when they started, and then eighty six was this, and then ninety was this, and the the growth in the viewing numbers was exponential. So what happened was because the administration in the early two thousands was so poor. People felt that they needed a saviour. We didn't. What we needed was outstanding thinking and management. Leadership in that space. And we didn't... What we got was um, virtually the opposite. What we got was, this is my way. This is... I'll manage the game in the way I see fit. I'll make my own decisions. I won't rely on research. I'll do this. I'll do that. If someone's got six million in Gold Coast for a licence, I'll give it to them. Um, You know, I'm not really clear what's happening with the marquees and all this. We'll just make it up as we go along. And then, by the way, if if I need, I'll just, let's put a club in West Sydney now and we'll just do it in six months. And and off the back of that lesson, because we had to because Sydney Gold Coast went under, okay? But then off the back of that lesson, have you then prepared the the next few clubs? No, nothing's changed. Mm. Nothing's changed. So, so in other words, it actually in most respects wasn't what we were hoping for. Um, my feeling at the moment is this is actually the opportunity for the game to get what we were hoping for and what the game really needs. When you, when you talk about reform, though, the thing is, particularly in the professional game, what Stephen and his board will say is, oh, yeah, but we want an independent league now. Okay, but yeah, the problem... they, they said uh, we need to move to a separate operating yeah. model. We need yeah. to expand the game in terms of teams, go from 10 to 12 to 16, which was the yeah. first time I... Who said 10 to 12 to 16? Lowy. Okay, Stephen so Lowy. let's just stop there for a moment. All right, that's great because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that quote, but thanks, Nick, because, again, that's the same crap. Exactly. So why is it 12, why is it 14, or why is it 16? And why is this only coming out now when mm. it's been something that we've been crying out for for a number of years? Look, it's extraordinary that the owners were were enabled, Frank, to to put the structure in place for that decade uh, and that they actually were prepared to wear losses given what the model was. It's just because many of them are successful business people in their own right. It, it actually is extraordinary, and it was a credit to uh, Frank Lowe that he was capable of doing that because I don't know how, how he made that occur because many years ago they should have turned around and gone, this is just nowhere near the quality that we need of management, of administration, of focus, of strategy, nothing we need. So in terms of that, they're saying they want a, a, a model. The question is, though, it's not enough just the public rhetoric anymore because... Quite simply, are the, is the game, the fans and the professional clubs satisfied that the model they put forward is going to be acceptable to the rest? Of course not, because that's just what's happened on the Congress. Mm. So that's one of the problems they've got. Um, the other thing is we were talking about, um, you know, I talked about Clayton billionaires, <laughs> um, is because 
you talked about that finance. It'd be interesting to hear from Stephen on this, actually, because I don't know, it's never really been discussed. But my understanding was the only actual money that Frank Lowy uh, put in, aside from that was benefiting his Westfield company in terms of promotional value, was I, I understand that he may have underwritten the opportunity to get Hussink. Um, uh, because if we qualified, then we got the money. And, and I'm only going based on rumour only. Mm-hmm. Here, right? mm-hmm. I don't have that confirmed. But nevertheless, I thought that what he should have done, and I'm surprised that he didn't even for his own legacy, was build a, a national centre of football, build a national se- a home of football, for instance. Um, like an alternative to the former FFA Centre of Excellency, which we know was only rebranded because previously and in years gone by, you were also part of this system Falls yeah, was the Australian right. Institute of Sport football exactly. program. Exactly. So we've got no home of football. We've got nowhere for all the licences. We've got no, you know, it's ridiculous that we don't have a major centre where we can do all our research, where all the national teams go and all this. I thought he might do that just for his own legacy. He didn't. But um, then the, the other issue was that the progression of the USA markets... Um, in football, MLS, if you go back, was this craft gentleman, largely. And there was one um, person there who underwrit a tremendous amount of that competition. So he actually personally funded um, the early success of that league over at least a a 12 to 15-year period in order to them to grow to get where they are now. So we because never... it took them at least a good 20 years, you'd say, yeah. Foz, for them yeah, to yeah, get yeah. to you know, yeah. a, a position of health. So this guy underwrote a massive amount of their professional game for a very long time. Why? It's because he loved it and because that was his contribution back to his country. Not because so... he had a hidden agenda or self-interest. Well, I don't know that. I don't know that. Okay. Um, nevertheless, what I know is that this guy put in a huge amount of his own personal money um, and, um, you know, and he wasn't running the game. He wasn't the chairman. You know, he was just, uh, he was in the club environment, right? Mm. And that's what I thought that, um, you know, Frank Lowy might have done in the early stages. Nevertheless, um, he didn't. And what he did was uh, he relied on government money and the game's money. So the game's money meaning all of the receipts from all of the kids who play, and that money still flows up. Uh, in a tremendous amount of money goes up to FFA. And in fact, at one point, they put a levy on there in order to fund some of the FFA's activities. So some of that, I look back and I think, well, you're in a position where you were given the opportunity to grow your own brand. No one knew who Frank Lowy was before. Mm. Uh, you were given the opportunity to grow your own company. Uh, you were given the opportunity to do a myriad of things with people close to you. Uh, and you should have been required, at the very least... To, to make that happen. Well, all that we know now, Stolich, is that um, we are in a, in a situation where the game is, is in desperate need of change. Um, just what that change will be still remains to be seen. Um, do we have any knowledge of what's going on in that space in terms of when we can expect FIFA to arrive and when these discussions will be taking place? Uh, I believe it's over the next week there's going to be a meeting uh, and then they, FIFA will meet and then they will decide whether they implement a normalisation committee and then who forms that committee. We'll see. Obviously, we'll have all the details on our website and everywhere else and we'll discuss it. Probably we might have another pod if once a new board is formed because obviously there's a lot of things to look at. 
you know, a, a new coach, expanding the team, oh, possibly yeah, a second course. division. And the coach is reasonably pressing. Yeah. You know? Not not even yeah. reasonably, isn't yeah. it? Extremely pressing? Well... Because obviously after yeah. the draws come out, then yeah. these, um, you know, the, the schedules for these friendlies, um, you know, that becomes yeah. apparent as well. Yeah, preparation. So, but extremely pressing would be like two weeks we're playing Honduras. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that, that can yeah, happen, okay. a crisis like that where someone resigns. Yeah. Um, so now at least, you know, it's not until mid-year. So, mm-hmm. uh, of course, the earlier, earlier the better. Nevertheless, there's just two things I, I wanted to mention, if I can, as well. Sure. I was talking about that contribution from the family. So the reason that's important is when it came to the end of his tenure, Frank Lowy went around all of the uh, states and, and FFA knew that I was very uh, against, as a member of the media, no one special, but just a... a prominent member of the media from a major broadcaster and they came to me some of them personnel came to me and and tried to basically sell to me um the fact that Stephen was going to get the seat so you know i just kept saying no it's not right i don't think it's going to end well the time is now and we need to move on and, and the game's ready to move on anyway um what happened was it was said to me at that time oh yeah but what frank is going to do frank is going to b- make a foundation do you read anything in the press about that about a ffa foundation yes so the idea was said to me in in uncertain but reasonably clear terms that frank was going to make a foundation and into this foundation might go 100 million or something right and um and therefore um, that was going to be one of his lasting legacies and blah, blah, blah. Which is why you then had the assumption at the time, like you mentioned earlier, that he was going to develop some kind of centre of excellence or something to that effect? No, or... no, I had no assumption. I just oh, thought no. that he should do that. Yes. My my feeling about it was, well, that timing was very interesting. Because, Convenient. Right. So, in other words, he uh, I know for a fact that that had been mentioned to, st- to the various state bodies, that this is what was going to occur, and... I wouldn't be surprised if it was a positive sign in relation to having his son become chairman. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was somehow related. And my comment to them was, well, I'll be surprised if that happens. And I, don't, I haven't seen it happen yet. It's the equivalent of a, of a pageant queen getting up when she wins in Texas or whatever it is and her saying that, oh, yeah, I'm going to restore world peace and I'm going to donate to charity in my tenure as, you know, well, as Miss Texas. Sweetheart, you've got a year and um, <laughs> that's a lot to achieve in a year. But it's easy to make those kinds of false promises and say, oh, we're going to build a foundation or we're going to build this or we're well, going to do that for the game, especially at a time when you are so reliant on people electing you into this position of power. Didn't we see that this time with even yesterday or a couple of days before the... No, the, the NPL, NPL Association. Oh, okay. or, yeah. Yeah. They tweeted out, oh, we've had positive discussions uh, with the FFA regarding a second division. Right. And then, you know, the uh, it was kind of, I think it was more said by FFA, Oh, well, well, we never like promised anything. It was more like well, they denied even having discussions with them. But yeah. who you choose to believe yeah, in exactly. this scenario is entirely but up to this you. This seems like another way of going. Okay, yeah, maybe in the future we will have the second division that you crave. Maybe in the future we'll have whatever the expansion that you want. And there, there comes this thing from FFA, even uh, with past closing down the uh, center of excellence that we were talking about. And that money was then going to be reinvested somewhere else. And I don't know if that's happened. Where has yeah. it been reinvested? This uh, is the problem with all look, the money that gets contributed. We don't know where it's being spent. It just no. seems there's a lot of not necessarily There's promises. No transparency. There's no, no transparency. That's look, the if biggest you're, if slide you're, on if it. If you're going to make a billion dollars or even more, 
through the property game, you're going to understand how to entice people to, to get your own way or make whatever deals that you need to make. You know, it, it, Frank Lowe was nothing if not pragmatic, so he would use whatever, and we saw that on the World Cup bid, right? And he was very clearly willing to do virtually anything in order to get the World Cup here. And some of the fans thought that that was okay. But just lastly, one of the, the main reason why this is all busted up, and I think a lot of people might have sort of missed, is because for the first time, and this is ironic, in the past all the different stakeholders of the game could never get on. And I know because I spent 20 years with the PFA, the players, right? And so what the, what the Soccer Australia and FFA, Frank Lowy, did for a very long time, and that was the, that was the, the way the game worked, was keep divide and conquer, keep everyone apart. Right? Mm -hmm. Everyone was enemies. So what By everyone, you mean the states and the, uh, the clubs? States. And oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry. Oh, yeah. mm. Clubs Frank's and players. Tenure, and oh, yeah, yeah. So the states, oh, look, the professional clubs want this from you, so you, you, know, you should hate them. And um, the PFA wants this to the clubs, so they're not nice. They're, they're bad people because you professional clubs should be, you know, you guys are good. Um, the players usually, you know, had to fight for a good relationship. But what they do is they kept all the stakeholders apart. And that's been the, very much the history of our game. What's most interesting is that recently the stakeholders actually came together. So this is the, surely the future of the game has to be unity, right? So, so that's caused the shift? Yeah, so we're, talk, we're, we're talking here and all the marketing spin in the last five years has been unity, 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 right? Has we, it are, we are football. We are football, right? We're football. football. <laughs> okay, right. Okay, so it's very interesting that what's actually occurred is for the first time ever, we actually have become football, just not FFA. In spite of. There you go. Because what's happened is, um, for the first time, the reason that Stephen Lowy has been the first, and it was difficult for him, I must say, because he came into an environment that his father should have read much better. But he's come in at a time when actually the professional clubs and the players have for the first time got together and actually just said, don't worry about FFA, let's just discuss what the hell's going to happen here. And that was virtually impossible in the past. And that was, A, because they got organised with their professional clubs association, B, because they've got a couple of people who are good behind the scenes. And, you know, there's one from a Melbourne City, Manchester City uh, gentleman who, you know, has been reported about. So, so there's some good thinkers and people involved behind the scenes largely. And all of a sudden, and I know because I was chairman last year of the PFA, and the first thing that I sort of said to them was, well, you just need to go there. We need to go and have those discussions mm. now. The reason being is because, well, really, you, don't know, you, don't know, you no longer need FFA because this is about the professional game. So all of a sudden, the game has started to really work together, mm. independent of FFA. And I think in the end... Because I think they've been forced to, Foz. They have, well, that's exactly right. That's what I'm saying. So, in mm. other words, the FFA's in the, um, operating model or way of working, and if you like, the Lowy model uh, well, it's template. It's prehistoric now. Yeah. The, so the game's actually in a position where it no longer works. We want change. We want growth, and we want no better works. for. And you've got smart people football. involved. But so, they can't see outside of their own bubble falls. And again, what did I say the theme of this has been? It's been money. about money and power. Yeah. And fortunately, I will say, because we do have to wrap things up, hopefully it doesn't mean that, you know, the next 
decade plus um, means that we don't have to be in a situation like that where that's reoccurring and that this is just a part of our teething issues. Um, We are constantly looking to grow the game, to change the game for the better, and I truly believe on a personal note that this is for the better. So Craig Foster, SBS Chief Football Analyst, and Nick Stoll, a.k.a. Stolich, our multimedia journalist on the World Game, thank you so much for your company. Of course, as I mentioned, um, you can tune in to our live World Cup draw, and that is just live in the East as well, just as a reminder. You, you want to tell us who we're going right, to get? Let me just pull the pots up. Just give me one second. He's going to hang on here. I've got the pots up for you here. Okay. I think there's a good chance we'll get a good draw. Okay. Good. We're yeah. going to finish it on this note. Okay. Who are we going to get? We're going to get the official draw. Speak into the microphone as well. We are going to get um, Russia or Poland. Yeah, yeah, nice. We're going to get um, Peru or um, Tunisia, Switzerland. Beautiful. We are going to get Tunisia, Iceland, Costa Rica. You know we only need three teams, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very big group. Out of pot this three. is a huge yes, group. That's what we're going to get. This is like we've expanded to the 64 yeah. Team World Cup already. So just give me three teams that oh, you no, think we're going to... Oh, okay. No, all right. What I mean by that is... They're the number of... Yeah, there's any. unbelievable draws for us there where mm. I think we're eminently capable of getting out of the group stage. I reckon we're going to make the round of 16. And, well, and given that everyone is out, yep. I mean, the big, a lot of the big nations... Italy, you know, USA... It's, not, it's, it's very possible for us to make quarterfinals don't, on. Don't you think... That's why the coach now that they recruit is really He's very crucial. This is what I was going to say. Don't you think that if we get an easier group, let's say we avoid Germany, Brazil and Spain or a combination France, of them, yeah. uh, there's a good chance that... Uh, high-profile international coach will see that and go, oof, this is a very good opportunity to take this team to the second round. Obviously, Come on, Bielsa. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, let's just say it. Let's get Bielsa in, surround him with good young Australian coaches who can learn, and then we can build the next generation like Chile did in uh, 2010, and that then led to their multiple Copper America champions. That sounds like a lovely utopian society that you've just framed mm. for us, Stolich. Let's hope it comes to eventuate one day. But in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, it's been a pleasure to discuss all of this. Not so much, really. I mean, we don't like having this conversation, but we do like that we are up for change, and uh, that seems to be the best thing for the game at the moment. But on behalf of myself and the entire team here at the World Game, it's goodbye for now.